Wow, thank you so much, choir, orchestra, for leading us in worship today, and um, thank you for that beautiful anthem, The Jesus Way, uh, written by none other than Aaron Toms, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you, Aaron, for your creativity, and yeah, <clears throat> beautiful. We really appreciate it. Well, as I have shared with you, each week, you know by now our theme here at our church for 2022 is re dot dot dot, and the implication is we're on a journey of re everythinging. That's how it feels to me, at least. And so <clears throat> we have chosen to guide our church through eight seasons of a liturgical year for us as a church. And it's just how we are wired. It's the rhythm and flow of First Baptist Arlington. It's our liturgy, if you will. And so we've begun the year this winter <clears throat> focusing on our first re-word. And that is reflect. And so we are spending some time <clears throat> reflecting together. We are studying the 23rd Psalm phrase by phrase just trying to walk very slowly through it. Many of us have it memorized. Our children are memorizing the 23rd Psalm. Uh, our Bible Quest kids are memorizing the 23rd Psalm. Our preschool families have received a packet of material from Nanette uh, around the 23rd Psalm, and they are studying it as families, preschool families are. I just finished... Uh, doing the uh, devotionals for children's basketball uh, for Brian. And uh, each week, our children in children's basketball, we just started this past week, and uh, they are learning the 23rd Psalm, and all of my devotionals were phrase by phrase, the 23rd Psalm. So we are saturated with this Psalm. And <clears throat> however, <clears throat> we don't want us just to memorize it, we want us to experience it. That's why David wrote it. He wrote it out of his experience in his relationship with God. And it is rich with insight. And so um, I'm grateful that we have been able to already learn that we have a good shepherd and all sheep need an owner, a manager, a provider, a personal guide. And that's who our shepherd is and because we have this good shepherd, we are wanting for nothing, is what David says. Uh, our needs are being met, and God gives us the ability, as he shepherds us, to slay the dragon of more, which drives so many people in our culture. And he's guiding us. Uh, his will is both for our sake and <clears throat> for his sake. And so we're experiencing that guiding hand of God. Well, today, I want us to focus on just one little phrase. We'll read the whole psalm, but just one phrase. I've entitled the message today, Refreshed. So look with me at Psalm 23, where David has written, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then here's today's phrase. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning, I want us to think together about what it means to be refreshed. I want to begin with a portion of a conversation we had on Wednesday here at our church in the pastor's Bible study. As I shared with the folks who were there that day that human beings are complex creatures. And we are comprised of will, mind, body, and soul. You know, when you study the Old and New Testaments and you enter into the field of biblical theology, one of the conversations that biblical theologians have with one another is what is the nature of humanity? And many times that conversation finds its way to theologians discussing whether human beings are body and soul or whether human beings are body, spirit, and soul. And so you have those who tend to talk about this dual nature of humanity, those who talk about the tripartite uh, view of humanity. But as I have studied and read the scripture and spent a lot of time thinking about my understanding of humanity, I've been heavily influenced by Dallas Willard, who approaches this thing a little more philosophically and biblically together. He's not really a trained theologian, but he's informed many of us who have been trained in theology. And here's what Willard says. He says, when I look at a human being, he says, it, it just seems to me, and I believe it's consistent with the scripture, that we have a will, we have a mind, we have a body, and we have a soul. And, and so I have settled on that particular view. And let me, let me just explain it to you real quickly. You remember in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Dianoia is the word mind used there. That, that, that word means um, dia. Anytime you see D-I-A as a prefix in Greek, it, it means across. It means completely through. And so to love the Lord your God, he says, <clears throat> with all your heart, all your soul, and with dionia, dionoia rather, well, that's the idea of just your full understanding, if you will, just, just completely all the way across your mind. But in Romans 12, Paul says in verse 1, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. He says that's acceptable, that's pleasing to God. Paul then says, don't be conformed to the images of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. Nuos is the Greek word there. It's the same word that's used that Jesus used. <clears throat> Jesus just used a different form of it. And so our bodies, <clears throat> our hearts, our souls, our minds. Let me just talk about that real quick. Let's start with the will. When I say that I believe human beings are comprised of will, mind, body, and soul, what do we mean by will? Well, will is that ability that we all have to say yes and no. In fact, I would equate it biblically with your heart. You know, you and I, when we, when we talk about our hearts, we're usually talking about that soft, 
kind of touchy-feely part of us, right? If you say to somebody, I love you with all my heart, you're, you're, you're talking about the feelings that you have. The scripture doesn't really view the heart that way per se. It can be used that way, but the heart in the scripture is that decision-making part of you. It's, it's that part of you that allows you to be determinative in your behavior. It is a, it's a powerful force in us. You, you've heard the phrase, by the sheer force of will, somebody can make something happen. Somebody just wills it to happen. It's that, it's that part of us that cooperates with God to exercise dominion over creation. It allows us to participate with God. So you can think of it as your, as your heart. As a human being, it is our center, central core. It's sensitive. It's, it, it's where we make these decisions, you know, like to get married or to take this job or whatever it might be. We, we have this force within us known as our will. Or maybe you could use the word heart. But there's also something else about us. Um, because sometimes our willpower is not enough. How many of y'all ever willed to what? Fill in the blank. Exercise every day. Eat good food. Quit doing this. Quit doing that. And sometimes you discover how weak your will can be. Well, that's because we also have a mind. And our mind is, is where our thoughts and our feelings actually exist. In, in, the, in the ancient world, mind was, was a combination of both thoughts and feelings. It's, it's where we're conscious. It's, it's where we are aware of things. It's very powerful. It's where we reason and experience life. And so our, our minds really have a controlling force over our lives. But you're not just a will and a mind. You also have a body. Aren't you glad? I mean, God has given us a body. Um, so we have, what is our body? Well, our body, if you think about it, is just an instrument designed by God, and it is through our bodies that we actually can demonstrate the force of our will and the decisions of our minds. Our, our bodies are servants, if you will. Our bodies allow us to have this amazing presence. It allows us to implement everything that we know and feel. And, and so the Lord has given us these these bodies. And so we're supposed to love God, Jesus says, with all of your heart, all of your will. That's where you make decisions. Well, making decisions every day is incredibly important to us. C.S. Lewis says this about, about making choices. When, when you're making choices every day, what you're actually doing is you're building a life. You're, you're demonstrating the force of your will. You're exercising your mind, your reasoning, your thoughts and your feelings, and you're doing it through your bodies every single day. Now here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a, a little different from what it was before. In other words, he said, every choice that we make has some kind of effect on us all. He says, and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you're slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God, with other creatures and with itself or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, 
rage, impotence, eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. So Lewis is arguing that every day, the exercise of your will, he says, is having a profound impact upon you. But your mind is also a part of it. Your mind, according to Paul's word in Romans 12 too, is supposed to be renewed. We're being transformed. Our, we're, we're, it's the arena of, of our reasoning power. It is our thoughts and our feelings. And then our bodies. Our bodies. Why does Paul say this in Romans 12 verse 1? Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Well, the reason for that is your bodies are what you do everything in. So Paul says, you know what it's like to bring a sacrifice to the temple? And every time you bring a sacrifice to the temple, blood is shed. He uses an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a living sacrifice. Those two words don't belong together. Sacrifice, by very definition, means death. And so Paul really challenges and stretches the imagery of these ancient Christians by saying your bodies are to be living sacrifices. And so our mind, our will, our body, all is included in who we are as human beings. But there's something else about us, isn't there? Our souls. Now the Bible has a lot to say about our souls. So what is a soul? You know, we use that word all the time. Um, you know, sometimes it's even used in secular media when people are counting, sometimes there'll be a tragedy and they'll say there were so many souls lost. Isn't that interesting? That, that word is used that way in, in our common vernacular. It's even used that way in the scripture. What is our soul? <clears throat> well, here's what I would say about it. It's that, it's that deepest part of me and you. It, it's the integrating principle that's at work in the life of every human being. It's what makes you complete, it's what makes you whole, it's, it's what makes you a person. It's what allows you to integrate everything about you, your mind, your will, and your body so that you can be a single human being. And this is what distinguishes you from all the rest of creation. You and I have been created in the image of God. All of this is included in that. But what is certainly included in that statement in Genesis 1 is we've been given something eternal. Our souls, our souls are uniquely designed by God and equip us for eternity. It's that part of us that will never die. These bodies, what do y'all think? Give them time. And what happens? Give them time. And they wear out, don't they? Just give them time. Well, that's, it, th these bodies are going to deteriorate. But your soul? What about your soul? Well, you know what C.S. Lewis says about that. Let me read this to you he, in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Isn't that interesting? If you were to see a human being in their full eternal glory, C.S. Lewis says, you might even be tempted to worship that human being. He says, or it might be a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one 
or other of these destinations. And here's what he says. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every human being is immortal. You know why? Because every human being has a soul. Your soul is unique. It's beautiful. It's powerful. Do you know what they've determined? That when a human being dies, at the moment of death, they lose weight. Did y'all know that? Every human being, when they die, they immediately lose weight. On average, 21 grams. About the weight of a hummingbird. So there are some people who say a soul must weigh 21 grams <laughs> because at death, your soul departs your body. Well, how much is 21 grams worth? Depends on what it is. This particular 21 grams is worth the death of Jesus. <laughs> it's worth the full attention of the eternal God of the universe. And it is the focus of the church. You see, that's why we're here, the church. There are a lot of things we do at a local church. A lot of things we do. We serve people. We provide programming. We provide events and plan them so people can experience them. We eat together. But at the end of the day, do you know what's really happening? What has our attention, what those of us who have gone into this vocationally believe, at the end of the day, it's all about your soul. That, that's really why we're here. Our responsibility as shepherds and pastors is to be a soul expert. That, that's our job. That's what God has called us to. And so that's what this church is all about. There are a lot of great organizations in the world. You can be a part of some awesome things, but the church is unique and distinct from all of them because the church exists to help you have a healthy soul. It's a beautiful thing that healthy soul is. And so what we do as a church and churches is we try to take what God's taught us and help all of us have healthy souls. So, what are spiritual practices? Well, they're instruments in God's hands to accomplish his work in our lives. Why do we encourage you to engage in, in spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices? Because we want to make you feel guilty. That's why. So we can ask you, read your Bible lately? How's your prayer life? Did you have your quiet time today? Because we are there to make you feel guilty. That's a part of my job as a preacher. Is that really it? Why do we encourage you? Because we want you to get better at it. Do we encourage you to fast because we want you to get better at fasting? We want you to be able to fast longer. Do we encourage you to do all these things so you can just get good at them? No. You see, they're, they're tools in God's hands. God takes these disciplines, and while you participate with him, what's really happening is he's working on your soul. That's what's happening. And it is the most important thing about you. Can you imagine 
if tomorrow morning every single person in America woke up and paid as much attention to their soul as everything else in their life, can you imagine what a drastic difference Monday morning would be in this country? What if every Christian, just, just the Christians, paid as much attention to our souls as we do everything else? Can you imagine what a difference that might make? To have a healthy soul, we, we engage in these spiritual disciplines and practices because God's at work in us. And so we've started this year off encouraging you, walking alongside you in these spiritual disciplines. We've given you these cards that Kurt has written for us. In, in the first one, Kurt quotes Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard says this, there's nothing wrong with the church that discipleship will not cure. Making disciples is a matter of pulling people, of drawing them in through who we are and what we say. A disciple is someone who's learning by going through the process of change, he says. That, that's what's going on. These spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, Bible study, worship, reflection, silence, fasting, all of those are disciplines. They lead to everyday practices. And here's what I've learned about that, y'all. Our lives are connected and our practices change over time. I just came from a conference at Truett Seminary led by Todd Bolsinger for pastors. About 100 pastors gathered from all over America for a couple of days to pray together and love each other and worship together and learn together. And Todd led us. Todd's been here. He wrote Canoeing the Mountains, y'all remember? And so he's written a new book called Tempered Resilience. And that was the focus of this conference. And he talked to us about how his spiritual practices have changed over time. He's, he's not pastoring now. He's working at a seminary. And he said, it's funny how his spiritual practice of his family has changed because engaging with your family is a spiritual practice and is rooted in spiritual disciplines. He said, now I actually go to church with my wife. So I never did that before. He said, and she's always late. Drives me crazy. He said, what I've had to learn is, it's okay. I'm not in charge of the worship service. And she's let me know that. <clears throat> he said, I'm in a different place now. My spiritual practices have changed. They change over time. Your spiritual practices are connected to your life. You know, if, as long as it's godly, it can be a spiritual practice. Hiking, exercising, engaging in all kinds of activities can be spiritual practices. They're connected to spiritual disciplines. When I was much younger, I was pastoring in Huntsville, Alabama, and I was coaching my daughter's basketball team. And we were really good. We were a select team, and we won a bunch of tournaments. And then all of a sudden, those girls got to, high, to middle school, and the middle school basketball team was terrible. And the coach knew nothing. And I went and met with him, and he said, I know nothing about basketball, but nobody else will coach these seventh and eighth grade girls. I said, I will. So I went and met with the principal and she said, you can, you just can't do it officially, but you can coach, you can practice, you can do everything. Every game was on Wednesday night. So I went to my church, to our leaders, and I said, look, I got one daughter. She's gonna be in the seventh and eighth grade one time. I'm gonna be teaching on Wednesdays, rest of my life. And you know what my leaders in my church said? Go coach your daughter. Go do it, have fun. It was a spiritual practice. It was a way of me engaging my family and it grew out of a spiritual discipline. Does that make sense? 
So can coaching girls basketball be a spiritual practice? Yes, if you do it in the right way and for the right reason. Now, I won't say I always behaved as spiritually as I needed to, so I'm a, I am a poor fallen creature, okay? Um, but the point is, what's happening? God is shaping you. He's working within you. That's his work. That's soul work. And what God's doing is he's trying to strengthen you and build your resolve. You know, you don't, you don't practice free throws just to get good at practicing free throws, why do you practice free throws if you're a basketball player? So if you get fouled in the game, you can shoot free throws, right? You, you do it because it builds something. It strengthens you for the moment when you find yourself. And that's the way spiritual disciplines are and spiritual practices. They, they are there to equip you and strengthen you for the moment that you've got to live in, not to just get better at them. That's not the point. We don't go around bragging. I'm really good at having a quiet time. How's your quiet time? You know, I'm really good at it. I have it every day. Do you have it every day? I could show you how to do a quiet time. I'm really good at being a person who does a quiet time. Well, you just saying that to me shows me it's having zero effect in your life. The very reason you have it is for you to become more like Jesus, not to get good at it. Are, are y'all with me? Spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines are there so that God can do something. Now, with that said, what does it mean when David says he refreshes? Notice what, is, what, what does God refresh? He refreshes our souls. Thank you, Trey. Our souls, right? Well, our soul is that deepest part of us. And God offers redemption and refreshment to us as he performs soul work. John Ortberg is the one who said, souls don't go away, they go awry. And right now, you live in a culture filled by awry souls, unhealthy souls, disengaged souls. That's one of the reasons there's so much misery and loneliness and discouragement and brokenness because souls are not healthy. That integrating principle is not working. Souls have gone awry. What is God's answer? Redemption. That's what God's answer is. What does God do? He redeems us, and his redeeming work is in our souls. What is salvation? Salvation is the salvation of our souls. It is the cleansing, the forgiveness, the healing of our souls. It's in our souls where we're redeemed and reclaimed and restored it's like being born again, Jesus said. It's, it's a resurrection, if you will. And so our souls, it's where the redeeming work of God takes place. It's where God's thumbprint is felt. It's that the image of God that needs to be reclaimed by God. It's what's separated from God because of our sin. It's what's been marred because of our brokenness. And God's answer is to redeem our souls. And so that's what salvation is. So there may be some of you listening to me today that that's what you need. Your soul can't be refreshed until it's redeemed first. And you find that in Christ. But then for us as Christians, what about us? What about those of us who our souls were, have been redeemed? Maybe they've been redeemed a long time. Well, here's what I've learned, y'all. I've learned that life is a full contact sport. It's a demanding journey. You know, life is hard. And some of you right now, you got some dents in your fender, don't you? It's hard. It's demanding. 
Philip Keller, who wrote this little book, A Shepherd Looks in the 23rd Psalm, he said sometimes as a shepherd, he would miss one of his sheep or he would hear a sheep making this strange noise and he would go searching. And sometimes he said he would find a sheep in what's called to shepherds a cast position. In other words, just lying on its back. And the challenging thing is when a sheep finds itself completely on its back, it can't right itself. It doesn't have the equilibrium and the strength. And so unfortunately, cast sheep die. And he said, when you'd find that cast sheep as a shepherd, it was your job to restore that sheep, to, to refresh that sheep. And it was a process. You had to take the sheep and roll it over on its side and uh, allow all the gases to change and the body fluids to change. And then eventually ease that sheep back up onto its feet and, and hold it to where it could finally regain its strength. And so Philip Keller says, when I'm reading the Psalms and I hear the psalmist say, why is my soul downcast? He said, that's written by a shepherd. A shepherd knows what it's like to be downcast. And so what do you need? You need your soul to be refreshed. What did Jesus say? Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden. He says, come to me, doesn't he? He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what Jesus says. You see, what the shepherd does is he refreshes our souls, that deepest part of us, where our thirst is the greatest. So some of you right now, that may be what you need. You know, these last couple of years have been hard. I spent two days with pastors from across America in this conference at Truett Seminary. We met in large groups, we met in small groups. And I listened to pastors. And here's the kinds of things I heard from them. I'm weary. I'm tired. My staff is beat down. One pastor said, I've got decision fatigue. Meet, don't meet. Wear masks, don't wear masks. Make the staff get vaccinated, don't worry about whether they're vaccinated or not. Go ahead and start serving a meal, don't serve a meal. Plan this activity, cancel that one. And he said, y'all, I'm just tired. And he said, in all honesty, my people have just been mean. And I'm tired. Once he said that, pastor after pastor shared a similar story. I'm just beat down. And the bottom line is, I don't know what to do. And I listened and my heart just went out some of them said, my church feels apathetic. I'm not sure if they even care anymore. One pastor said the church pushed him and challenged him and said, it's time to get everything started back and we want our Wednesday nights back and you're just lazy. So we were meeting on Thursday morning. He said, we met last night, first time. Five people came. 
He said, I'm trying to decide who's lazy. <clears throat> My culture is angry, quick-tempered, quick-triggered, politically divided. It's challenging. One Sunday morning, I stood in this pulpit and I asked two questions. Is it possible to be a Democrat and a Christian? Is it possible to be a Republican and a Christian? A couple of families left the church over it. Didn't like my tone. <clears throat> what do we need, y'all? What do we need? You know what I think we need? Our souls to be refreshed. That's what I think we need. <laughs> Our souls to be refreshed. Praise God, we have a good shepherd <laughs> who knows how to do it. Do you need it this morning? I sat in a room full of men this last couple days. That's what we prayed for. Prayed over many of them. Lord, refresh the soul of my brother. Lift him up. He's downcast in his spirit. Give him strength to carry on. You know, the, maybe you know the story of the nuclear submarine Thresher, heavy steel armor. It was a deep diving submarine that could withstand the pressure of the ocean. On a test run in 1963, however, the Thresher's nuclear engine failed. And then as it was circling beneath another submarine on a test run, it began to sink. And eventually it fell all the way to the floor of the ocean and the pressure became immense. The heavy steel bulkheads buckled, the thresher was crushed with 129 people inside who died. The Navy sought to investigate and, and naturally had to try to find a research craft that was stronger than submarines. It was 1963, it was a challenging time and finally they were able to concoct this machine that was shaped like a steel ball. It was lowered into the ocean on a cable. They finally found the thresher 8,400 feet down. And it was crushed like an eggshell. The pressure at that depth is 3,600 pounds per square inch. It just couldn't withstand the force. Here's what's interesting though. You know what else they found when they were filming with this camera? The wreckage Fish swimming. <laughs> Not heavily armored fish, just fish. You know, with thin skin. And it led to some oceanographers to question how in the world, they didn't even know fish lived at that depth at that time, but they do. And here's what they've discovered. Fish are able to do that because the pressure inside of them matches the pressure outside of them. And they can actually live. Mm. You see, when the pressure outside is greater than the pressure inside, that's dangerous. And so guess where God does his best work? Inside. And when he refreshes my soul, he gives me what I need to manage the stress on the outside. Isn't that what you want? Praise God. We have a shepherd who says, I will refresh your soul. May it be so for you.
Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you, Lord. We thank you so much for what you do for us. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can come to you in the good days and, and in the hard days. And so, Lord, there are those today who need their souls refreshed. And I ask, God, that you would just wash over them with your presence and your grace and your peace and your comfort and your joy and your strength. And if they're downcast, that you will... That you, as a shepherd, you will take them and, and encourage them and, and somehow bring them back onto their feet where they could live and thrive. And so, Lord, we thank you today that, that you can restore our souls. And we ask you to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.